when I was recording with Gabe Serbian and with Dave Lombardo, he would come in and take their notes because he was yeah. saying like, he was saying like, let it come from your heart. And like, if you fuck up and you, <laughs> and you make a mistake, that's beauty. And also that's going to get you the, 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 uh, the unthought of, co you know, uh, creative aspect, you know? So he would, he would just come in and get fucking pissed and take your notes away and be like, now do it and fuck it up. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew, drew the map. map. We had the um, Thrasher Skater of the Year on our podcast, um, Mason Silver. Oh, you know, cool. He outlined it like how I, I did all my parts to Budgie's drums. Wow. It was very interesting. Just my drums, Lowell. Yes. Just my drums. Just your drums, yes. <laughs> there was a quote, I think, this like speaking about skating, is Ian Mackay, you know, from Fugazi and Minor Threat. He had this quote, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was saying how, like, skateboarding – was this really interesting way for you to redefine the landscape? So you 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 see sidewalks and streets and stuff much differently. And he was he was you he was trying to equate that I think in in musical terms as well because you know you have this like musical landscape and you can you can do it differently. You can uh, navigate however you want if you can think it up. You can do it. And I, I thought that was an interesting way to make uh, a correlation between skateboarding and playing music the, the like physicality of the two of the two things right. go, like right. are very similar the guitar the guitarist from wire bc, BC gilbert yeah. put an album out and he'd recorded uh, the wind blowing through multi-story car parks and the the tunes they were making it it was that what you just said brought me on to looking at the landscape i i, I tend to look at it as to what's what sound will that staircase make or that door and or, or that propane tank like all yes. that yeah i'm always flicking things I, I used to sit down and draw you know I, I wanted to be an artist and i remember always making little notes on while i'm sitting there because i could hear sounds around me the sound of a cricket match behind or dogs barking in the background and i'd always be making notes as if somehow it was important to the way i felt it was the mood outside of the activity. And it sounds like you're saying it's the, the things that, that feed your, your need to create. With the Banshees, it was very much cinematic. Um, you know, at the studio, Susie would say, make it sound like a horse falling off a cliff. Wow. And, the, and the producer were going, yeah, okay, and I know that. And then you, he would have to interpret the sound and think in physical terms of how you make that sound. We wanting to be experimental, of course we were, but we were in a, in a confine. We had to think outside of, I suppose, maybe our limitations were dictating how we approached making sound. Mm -hmm. It was a very visual experience, although it's an audio experience. So. It's very much the way Hitchcock and Bernard Herrmann would work. I mean, I come back to that first Banshees album I, I joined, I didn't play on it, join hands. 
I think it was a suburban relapse. Oh yeah. And right. it's like it's somebody going crazy in the suburban home. I'm sorry that it hit you, but my string snapped. And yeah. It it was uh, Susie's uh, brief to the guitarist. She always said was uh, was I wanted to sound like the shower scene in Psycho. Whoa. So yeah. that's a kind of discussion between Hitchcock and Bernard Herrmann, because uh, Herrmann had had. Hitchcock wanted to be totally silent. So you're talking about the stab scene, right? Where it's like, right. ring, 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 ring. Yeah. That's the most iconic sound in cinema. Right. Alfred Hitchcock was saying, no, but no, I, I want it silent, just visual. Yeah. And how the how the music has become the visual. You associate the knife with the strings. Susie took the association of the knife with the strings and said to the guitarist, Shower scene in Psycho. Yeah, so then when you hear the song, you think of that visual in your in your in your head. It's helping yeah. you with the narrative. We also loved, uh, you know, David Lynch and a Razorhead. You know, imagery and sound. All these things fed in. That stabbing sound, though, has probably made its way into every project I've ever played. And you know, like it needs to be stabbing. You know, like the guitars <laughs> or whatever, whatever synth. I don't know, like whatever sound. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh. Um. Yeah. Wow. So what now, guys? One of those embarrassing silences. Well, it's kind of fitting to what we're talking about because I suppose it is that thing, isn't it? Dead air time and the time. We, you know, because we're kind of, in a way, when we, we have a conversation like this, it, it's like the music you that I, I've been watching you create, Justin. It's it's the space in between. The silences are really, really important. That Mingus quote, um, it's not the, it's a bass player. I always really gravitate towards it. It's not the notes that you play. It's the notes that you don't. I, and I think that's important, too, especially in song structure and stuff creating tension and release yeah. and even like tension just from this weird discordant sounds that I think both of you guys have been fluid at, at creating in, in your careers, you know, like the, not, like the non-traditional musical sounds are really important. Right. And then going back to it, I was going to say there's that Bjork soundtrack to dancer in the dark. That's all done by just field recordings and none of it's actually instrumentation. I think, I think that's really cool too, because in nature and going back to the skateboarding thing in nature, like we, I, for me, I hear, I hear patterns and melodies and riffs in everything, even in like the weird sound of my car rattling or, you know, whatever it is, the, the, like you said, like the, the wind blowing in, in, a, in, a, in a stairway and stuff. I read a very interesting quote from uh, Polly Harvey, PJ Harvey, and she said, you know, when she records, she likes to go to a different city all the time because she doesn't want to wake up each morning and look at the same thing and kind of ignore it. You know, because if you live in a place for too long, you ignore what's going on around you because you, you've already seen it. You already know what's going to happen with it. So she said, well, she'd like to go to a different place so that every morning she woke up, it was it was new and it was different because that was very stimulating. And I, I know that we did that a lot in The Cure. Once we got enough money to be able to get out of town and not be in you know this horrible london recording studio with you know 
miserable people and rain outside, which is good sometimes, you know, but um, we, we just put ourselves somewhere different. And that would be the, the, you know, the thing that gave us the stimulus because every morning we wake up and it was like, oh, we're not in London still. We're here somewhere different. Susie and I took that to the extreme where we like just got a pin and pushed it in a map of the world right. and went, that's where the creatures will do their first album. And it was Mexico. So I called Mexico and they said, <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to talk to me about the studio we would need. So I thought, Hawaii is close. Let's call somebody <laughs> in Hawaii. Yeah. So we phoned Hawaii. And they said, we've just had a power cut, but we've got a studio. It's on the big island. Um, no, it's on Oahu. I think it was the only time that we could have a break from the band and, uh, you know, sort of um, develop our um, clandestine sort of uh, affection right. for each other. Right. It, it was all part of a, a kind of twist on what we're supposed to be doing. Mm. But also, it, as Lol said, how do we uh, step out of the routine? And then also, we absorbed the sounds pretty much of the jungle outside. It was. Right. I've, I've, I've always been very envious of, of artists that can do that because for me, for the most part, it's always been like, how can we just get this done, done with like little, you know, funds or the resources were very scarce. So we would just kind of scrape by. And I think that might kind of go back to like, you know, like Lowell, you were saying like the early London recordings, it's like, you got by with what you could and and there's beauty in that in a sense so they're like almost two parallel things you know like you have this side and you have and you have like the nice like going to hawaii and, and, right. and recording like do what i fucking would love to go to hawaii and record an album but instead i just go to like some shithole and you know and get you know or do it at home or whatever you know it's quick it's cheap as possible approach it with caution you know hawaii sounds yeah. lovely but uh it's uh... It's always, I mean, I, the, some of the drum tracks were like limited by how long I could hold the drumsticks in this little drum booth in a very hot studio. And and then the drum kit was rented and it kind of detuned itself like mid-recording. Right. But right. all that fed into the recording. So there were elements sure. that really you couldn't plan. Yeah. I mean, there's beauty in all kinds of weird elements or aspects of every everything, you know. I mean, I think those are like the not... Those are like the non-musical things, I suppose, that I always right. think. What are your influences? Right. Like, that shit's cool. That's cool to know. Have you guys, either of you worked with Ross Robinson, the producer? No. Um, I know Ross. I, I haven't yeah. personally worked with him. I, he, I think that guy's a genius. And it's funny because I, I've worked with him on a, on a few records. And the first time, you know, I had heard about him and I heard it famously about how he made Robert Smith like super pissed off and was like throwing candles at him and shit like that. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be crazy. If you guys want to work with this guy, he sounds like a real dick, you know? And so we, we got there and started working with him. And it was funny because it took a, a minute and I was like, man, this guy's so cool. Like, and I was like, hey, when are you going to like start being an asshole to us and like, get, you know, give us shit? <laughs> and, it, and it's funny because he was like, well, and this is no offense or no diss on, on, on Robert. He, he was, you know, right. he was saying like, we, you know, the way where we were like, we came from was like the opposite of, of where Robert was at. Like we had nothing and we were just fucking full of anger and fury and all these elements that, yeah. that he was, you know, helping channel where he was trying to bring that out of Robert and make him upset. You know, like yeah. I think he famously made the guy from corn cry and stuff like that and like just to get a better take you know and like that's pretty wild 
and I think that that's a really interesting way to like approach it and like have it not be comfortable because he would come into the studio when we were tracking and make make you stand up or like shove our guitar player like come on you know like and you're like wait I'm trying we're trying to like play this you know um precisely and you're and you're pushing us physically I'm laughing I'm laughing because because Simon uh, Gallup told me about him doing that to him and 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 yeah. you know i know i know simon very well and i know that ross was you know just this close to getting his teeth yeah. removed yeah but, um, you know, it's like... but it, it reminds me of a photo shoot that uh, susie and i did as creatures and as a scottish guy i forget his name but he put metallica on and got me to like vocalize <laughs> this is the worst thing you could probably uh, but what he did was he he got photos that rather than trying to look cool mm -hmm. he he got different expression and so i was expressing anger if you like and rage to the camera which is new to me you know it might be something that comes out when you play but not when you're standing cold in the studio <laughs> so yeah sometimes that prodding out of your comfort zone just releases right. gives you permission yeah in many ways but that's a brilliant move i think yeah. Yeah. Only, uh, you know, I don't want to say it, but like only a genius would think of those way. Like, let's let's piss you off and put on this crappy music. <laughs> I'm definitely trying to. I don't want to say no offense to Metallica. Like, fuck that band. Um, anyhow, uh, <laughs> um, but even but even more so. Like, I remember recording with Ross, and you know, we're like, he's got us like doing backing vocals in his laundry room, and like and like doing percussion on his on his washer machine yeah. and shit. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Or like the kick drum kept moving, so he used like one of those those Eddie Van Halen uh, amps yeah. to like to hold the kick drum in place. And you're like, wait, you're gonna use like the amp, you know, like the the guitar head to hold the the head, the the kick drum from not moving. But those are like brilliant moves. It's a bit like going through all those presets on the keyboard, and some sound might trigger an idea, and it's usually a sound you wouldn't normally go for, you know, like a patch or a we yeah. did a lot of that. We made, we made a lot of loops, didn't we? Not to keep talking about Ross, but like he would come in and take our drummer's notes away. Like when I was recording with Gabe Serbian and with Dave Lombardo, he would come in and take their notes yeah. because he was saying like he was saying like let it come from your heart and like if you fuck up <laughs> and you make a mistake, that's beauty and also that's going to get you the the unthought of co you know uh, creative aspect you know so he would he would just come in and get fucking pissed and take your notes away and be like now do it and fuck it up you know and you're like whoa yeah he would just piss them off and they'd play like way more fucking yeah. righteous yeah. shit i did a convention in las vegas years and years ago you know and uh so i'm on the panel and ross is on one side representing you know the business and I'm on the other side with Tony and Adrian from No Doubt. And I knew of Ross and I knew, I'd read something where he said, oh, The Cure was his favorite band. And I've sat on a table, like, you know, 10, 10 foot away from him. He never said a word to me the whole time we were there. I was like, this is really strange. I, I know he knows who I am and stuff. And then about, I don't know, about 10 years later, I met him at uh, The Cure were playing, um, I don't know, the Hollywood Bowl or one of those places. And I went to meet everybody and hang out and um, sitting there talking to Robert. And uh, Ross came up and he said, I tell all of my drummers to look at videos of you playing the hi-hat and play that hi-hat. That hi-hat is great. That way you play it. And I was like, oh, 
Okay, thank you very much. It was such it was such a strange thing after all these years just to come out with that. Not like I know I saw you in Las Vegas and didn't say anything to you, but you know. <laughs> My first, uh, I think it was recording with uh, Susie and the Banshees. Susie took away my hi-hat. Uh-oh. I said, I don't want any hairspray <laughs> on my recording. Yeah. So the hi-hat went. And so because I wasn't doing any eights on the hi-hat, which I would kind of was going away from, and Kenny Morris, the drummer before me in that, did a lot of stuff on the floor, Tom. So it was kind of like eights on the floor, Tom. And then I sneak, I sneak my hi-hat back in when nobody's looking. But I'm not going to, like, make it obvious. So I kind of go, shh. I do the hairspray. But nobody knows what it is because it doesn't sound like a hi-hat. But it made me think about the kit differently. You know, I can thank Susie for imposing a restriction on what I thought I was going to be doing. Then we got, we got like, developments like cable hi-hats where you could put a hi-hat right. on the other side of the kit right. and still play right-handed. Without cr- without yeah. crossing your arms, what yeah. a stupid thing to do! Yeah, it's kind of you're yeah. wrapping yourself in knots. I mean, that's totally why I, I looked at people always say, yeah, you know, other drummers always go, oh Charlie Watts, you learn from Charlie Watts. I say, well, yeah, for the hi hat because without that, how could I get such a you know a swing at the snare? Because you know I'm crossing my arms all the time otherwise. So. I was convinced that I was actually playing through my hand. I, I, I convinced myself that I was so fast I could actually play the snare while my right hand was still there. <laughs> and it was like mind oh. over matter and the sticks, oh. that sticks actually went through each other, you know. Uh, but wow. I'm not sure that was well, really what happened. That, that sounds like some powerful acid there. Something, yeah. There, there was a period. <laughs> there was a period. I think it was kissing the dream house. Our psychedelic yes. period. And I think you guys, the, the Cure, were doing um, yeah. pornography. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was definitely I think there was a, that. There was a lot of pornography wasn't so much psychedelic as just intense. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of LSD around in London that well, I remember at the yeah. time. It's, uh, it's the way of the world. Justin, I, I, you strike me as somebody who doesn't need, you don't rely on anything like that um, to achieve I, your I own. wish I uh, did more drugs than I do, um, but I, I, <laughs> um, I mean, Jokingly, uh, I don't really do much at all. Um, in the more recent years, I did get into psychedelics, but mainly for like microdosing for like um, my mental stability and to help with like chronic right. migraines, but never to try to transition in, the, in this planet and bring me somewhere else, you know, because like one of my bandmates that I work with, he's really into DMT and I really would like to try that. But I'm, I'm like, fuck, man, I know when I do that hit of DM, DMT and it's it's actually only 10 minutes, but feels like three days, like I'm going to be so pissed off that I'm, that I left, you know, I'll be like, fuck and be mad for that whole time. But, but I don't know. I think that we're, I think as humans, we're just, we're too naive and we, we, ha- we don't really know what we, our capability is. And also too, like the, the, the drug use thing is very interesting. Cause I grew up with parents that were both alcoholics and then also playing music, dealing with people that did drugs. And I, I see why a lot of people have substance abuse issues. But for me, I, I realized that I needed to try to avoid it as best as possible because I, I feel like it could be very dangerous. But I'm not opposed to it. I just very seldomly would, would dabble. Um, mm. But everyone always thinks that I'm on drugs. And it's weird because I have never even done cocaine. Uh, <laughs> but people always think I'm on drugs. Right. <laughs> right. 
Well, that that's got to be a lot cheaper, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, but then I end up spending a lot of money on like expensive food. I'm like a total food snob, so all my all my money goes to food. Well, yeah. that that's me and Budgie now, because we we've been, you know, we're we're black and white people. We've been all the way one way, and then gradually, you know, like we're 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 like we're straight edge. You yeah. know, I should have yeah. that thing on my hand, yeah. you know, yeah. because. Uh, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I'm vegan, you know, it's like, I, I concentrate on what I'm going to take away, but food, you know, yeah, you're right, you know, you have to become a bit of a foodie as you get older, because uh, yeah. it's one of the last I mean, left. things start falling apart, and you're like, oh shit, I probably shouldn't have been doing that for yeah. the last 20 years, you know? <laughs> yeah, I did have that thought. Well, yeah. <laughs> we do come across people who, who haven't changed. Yes. Uh, and it Say no. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe the heroin has made has like sort of preserved preserved those yeah. people, you know, <laughs> like yeah. Preserve preserve some yeah. things, but perhaps not brain tissue. <laughs> yeah. As as dark and dangerous as this music makes me uh, wonder and, and feel. I, I I knew it wasn't coming from a place of you being out of control. Well, it is funny, like the, the Dead Cross stuff's funny too, because we would we would be like on tour and our our like kind of pre-show ritual would be like, let's do uh, espresso shots before, <laughs> before we go on, you know. Um, and and it I, that probably helped. I mean, if everyone yeah. played... you you could come on tour with us, then you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, I I think like for me, I'd rather try to play. Um, proficient and not be intoxicated and like fuck up because i've seen a lot of bands play where it's just like been kind of not that great and you're like oh that that person's wasted and they're just sucking on stage like i don't know i don't i don't really want to do that i want to i want to have something i want to also gain something from it i'm not necessarily doing the performance for the audience i'm doing it for myself you know yeah and i think that that's a very good point you have to do it for yourself first because if you don't you know, if you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else, right? So it's know. it's it's not easy. Yeah. The only guy on the road who's not indulging. I've done, I've been in that situation. You know, it's uh, yeah. you're expected to be part of the group in every way. Yeah. And suddenly becoming like a bit of an outsider in your own family. It's um, it's not easy. Well, I I had exactly that experience in a sort of very dramatic kind of way. You know, because like. I had left the cure and I was, you know, life and soul of the party, if you like, and, you know, last person to crawl up the stairs or whatever. And, you know, many years later came back and did, you know, the Reflections tour with everybody. And I'm, you know, stone cold sober. And, you know, a few people are still less mm. than. And um, that, was, that was a very weird experience for me. Actually, Simon came up to me one night and said, you're very zen, aren't you, Lol? You're very zen, you, which of course you are, Lowell. Yeah, yes. and I was like, mm, I don't know if I feel like that, but you know, it's kind of kind of interesting. But I, I wonder if you if you had to like experience that to 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 become what he is thinking as very zen, you know, like you you had to get that out, and and it's like negative if someone might see that kind of personality trait or whatever. Yeah, if, if you can make it through that, and and I think you get something from either way you produced stuff you created stuff in that time frame that was very yeah important. yeah i mean you know the, the the only thing i wish in in some ways is that i had i had learned the the, the secret door out of the maze a, a, a little earlier it would have helped me in some ways but um you know you can't change anything and also you're right 
without it being the way it was, other things wouldn't have been the way they were. You couldn't have made that kind of music without it being like that. Yeah. So I think we've we probably have we have we've done the probably the longest recording we've ever done yes. on, with one person. <laughs> we should definitely start a chart of who was the easiest and nicest to talk to for the longest time. We only had one little pause, <laughs> but that little pause was so important. It did transition into songwriting. See, it, it did, we just had yeah. to give it the moment, give it the time make the pauses happen but i'll admit like man I, i've done a lot of interviews and podcasts and talked to a lot of people i also do my own podcast and it, it I, I was very um i don't want to say nervous because i'm not i wasn't nervous but i was just that like talking to you two is is it was like it means a lot to me and it was a very important thing i was like when the pause happened i was like fuck there's so many things i want to say and i was in my head thinking i want to ask all these questions that are probably not acceptable or i'll just throw it out there that like the pause was cool and beautiful and weird and in my mind there was like a ton of things that i wanted to ask you guys that would have just made everything hey, well you know hot. this this is just the beginning justin doesn't have to be okay it doesn't have to be the end well i look forward to us going out to like a snobby meal together um oh like that yeah, absolutely. Can we do it in San Diego, please? I'd like it to come down to where you are. That would be awesome. Let's that would do be it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's been really lovely talking to you. Yeah. And thank you so much. Thank you again. And like everything you guys have done has been really awesome um, in, in my life. So I want to say thanks for that. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.